0: We signed the D'Amelio's, Charlie D'Amelio, who's world's number one TikToker, because they had four dogs. They're running around barking. There was food out. They were jumping on the table. Caesar surveys the situation, focuses on one of them, goes over to the dog, puts it on his leash, brings it over right next to him, and the other dogs stop what they were doing and come right over to him, sit down next to him, Indian style. It was the craziest thing I have ever seen.
1: Welcome back to The Peel, where we explore the world's greatest startup stories, I'm your host, Turner Novak, founder of Banana Capital. Today I talk to Ken Ehrman, founder of Halo Collar, a smart dog collar that replaces an electric fence with GPS. They have a lot of cool features on the roadmap that make it sort of like an iPhone for your dog. Ken started his career in an Internet of Things company founded by Mike Markala, the first investor in Apple. He then started his own Internet of Things company. And this was all before the internet even existed. Ken is a true inventor and he gave tons of examples from his almost 40-year career. We talk about building hardware, patents, market sizing, listening to customers, and how to sell. We talk about early investors trying to buy 95% of his first company, getting the post office to fund $15 million in R&D, and taking a company public in 1999 with only $3 million in revenue. He tells me the crazy story of how he met Cesar Milan, his celebrity co-founder, at Halo, and what happened when they met a very famous TikToker. I want to give a special thank you to Rush Shoemaker at Jeffries who first introduced us. This is a fun conversation, and without further ado, happy to bring you Ken after a short word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by SecureFrame, the automated compliance platform built by security experts. If you listen to our first episode, you know SecureFrame helps thousands of businesses get and stay compliant with security and privacy frameworks like SOC2, ISO 2701, HIPAA, PCI, GDPR, and more. It's a robust yet elegant product used by thousands of customers, getting them compliant in weeks, not months. SecureFrame also uses AI and automation to remove all the headaches of staying compliant once you get there. And they've done this since 2020, when I first met the team and invested because I was so impressed. SecureFrame is trusted by companies like Ramp, Angelus, and Coda, and I recommend it to every founder I meet. Head to SecureFrame.com, and their in house team of compliance experts and former auditors will set you up. Check the show notes or newsletter for a special discount off your first year. Thank you, SecureFrame. And now let's talk to Ken at Halo Caller. Ken, thanks for joining on the pod today. I wanted to kind of start off first question. I thought it'd be really interesting for people before we dive into the product to just kind of go over how you got into this whole internet of things industry and kind of just talk through the journey of how you got to where you are today. Well, first
0: of all, I appreciate you having me on. Let's start with that, so thank you. And, you know, I definitely have a, I'm an older entrepreneur, so, you know, I'm over 53, but I started this company now about five years ago. But that did give me some advantages, which is that I had learned from my previous experience of starting companies how to do this one a little bit better. But in the meantime, what happened was when you know, I was an engineer, I went to Stanford, and as a result... Being in Silicon Valley, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like That was the path that I was on. My first job out of college was at a company called Echelon. Echelon was founded by Mike Markolo, one of the founders of Apple, as well as a gentleman named Ken Osman, a legendary Silicon Valley entrepreneur. And they wanted to be the chip that would go into everything but computers. So that was it. This was back in 19... Eighty-five. So they were like, Intel could do all the computers. We want to be the neuron chip inside of you know lights and air conditioning systems and you know it could be anything. It was pretty amazing what they were trying to do back then. But they were really focused on having this great chip that made the device smart, and that's what caught my attention. Not only in their company, but I ended up taking that smart chip after working there for a year and a half and saying to the CEO, Ken Oshman, I was like, Ken, you have the best chip, but you need to use it in an application. So you got to beat out people. You got to take that chip and use it. He's like, no, we just want to be the platform. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to leave and start my own company using your neuron chip as kind of the engine and make smart RFID tags." So it was a smart RFID tag. You can track these high value assets. and then the idea was make them smart. So our first applications were tracking letters for the um, postal service and tracking vehicles for the military. And we really took that principle of high value asset tracking that we were doing for, you know, AMS and Walmart, like at the time, we were also, applying not just this technology to rental cars, but forklift trucks and tractor trailers. So every single Walmart trailer, for example, has our technology on it. Mm. And the idea there, again, instead of just RFID, we monitor, is the trailer loaded? Is the door open? So let's say a trailer full of goods arrived at a Walmart facility how many hours did it sit there before someone opened it to start unloading it? Or, oh, by the way, there's a problem. This thing just got here and no one's unloading it. Real-time alerts of very important information, because there could potentially be millions of dollars of inventory in these trailers that they've paid for. But then if they just sit there, they're not getting it to the customer's hands. Every Avis rent car has our device in it today. And we have patents on this. By the way, the first thing I did when I left to start my own company is file patents. If you have a novel idea, contact a patent attorney and get your invention on file with the patent office. To me, that's probably one of the most important things you can do when starting a tech company. But basically, when your car comes back to the rental facility, picture an RFID reader picks up the car. So instead of just saying that car returned, what value that might have, it actually is linked to the computer, and it gets the fuel, the odometer, any damage codes that the vehicle may have, any lights that might be on, anything that could potentially a problem, all get transmitted wirelessly to the computer. So when you return your car, you could be billed accurately for the fuel you used. You don't have to get a piece of paper and pencil it out and say you have seven-eighths of a tank in uh, this amount of gal- uh, miles. All of the process is automated and accurate.
1: And it used to probably be workers at the company that were going and doing this manually, right? Right, and it was like, they would literally get back in the car, turn it
0: on, look at the fuel tank, judge it to the eighth of a gallon, and they could have been helping you with your luggage. So, you know, they could have been helping, answer questions, been, there was no value add. It was just part of the way they collected data to send you a bill.
1: So it's kind of like, as you... As you roll out the product, as the technology evolved, you were just finding new ways to cut costs for customers, increase their own revenue, which obviously helps your business as well. So it's kind it of like you're building in an evolving alongside an evolving technology actually is an, an extra bonus. Right. And
0: it's fun to listen to the customers and see what their business problems are. And often it applies to all the trailers. And you know, so even if you get to forklifts. It would be, I imagine you're sitting there and saying, why would anyone want to track a forklift of all things? Productivity, making sure they're, they're active, they're moving around. I mean, that seems like the natural. And then that's, at first I was like, okay, productivity, whatever. I don't know. I'm sure, I know that there's many companies out there, Manhattan Associates, there was a company called Red Prairie. That's all they focused on. They had warehouse management systems on there. But again, as I dove deeper into it, what we learned was that if you walk into a Ford manufacturing plant, for example, and there's 150 forklifts in the plant, and if you're a forklift driver, unless you have 150 keys in your pocket, which you don't, the keys are just left in the vehicle. It's crazy. So these really heavy vehicles... Are driving around in the same building where people are walking around on their phone, not necessarily paying attention. There could be cargo on the lifts that are blocking the driver's view, for all we know. And there's no access control. So there's no way to keep someone who's untrained, unauthorized from just getting on that truck and using it. And forklifts were the number two cause of the death for Fortune 100 companies, second to highway accidents. And what we found, all we did is we we took a smart RFID tag and linked it to the ignition and made it so you needed to give your same badge that you'd use to get in the building to start the truck. You now see how many hours people are paid to drive forklifts versus how many hours they're logged in versus how many hours they're moving versus how many hours they're moving a load. And often it's not their fault. It's just how they're allocated. You know, you may have 10 yeah. guys assigned to shipping, but only... Two people's uh, worth of shipping work to do, so monitoring these assets became a really big business. And by the time I left that company, we were tracking about, a, I think it's about six, seven hundred thousand assets for half the Fortune uh, five hundred. So wow. it was a pretty
1: exciting company, and and you took it public too in nineteen
0: ninety nine. Correct. What,
1: what was that like?
0: That was definitely too early. That's <laughs> too oh too early.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, we were doing at the time maybe $3 million a year in revenue. Oh, wow. okay. That's like a C round nowadays. If you're not an AI company, you might not even be able to raise a round with $3 million in revenue. It, I know. So it was definitely on the early
0: uh, stage. On the other hand, what people saw was the potential. So in other words, even back then, even though it was 1999, we were talking about how using a smart technology, linking it to the asset, controlling and managing the asset to make sure it's being used safely and efficiency had huge potential. I mean, we were talking to all the biggest companies. So I think people really bought into the concept. What I would say the biggest problem, the difference between that company and Halo from an entrepreneur standpoint is we were always selling. And I know there's a, that's a saying, always, you should always be selling. Okay. I know that. But when you're trying to sell to Avis, that you have a $300 device that you could put into your rental car and then automatically collect the fuel and odometer when the customer returns, they even get it. But the problem is there's no, they don't need it. They needed cars. If they didn't buy the cars, they didn't have any revenue. So that was something they needed. Those cars needed the license plates. Those You can't drive around 300,000 cars without license plates. When you're in something that's new, like we were trying to convince Ford to put it on every forklift and GM to put it on every forklift and Avis to put it on every car, you, it was a very long sales cycle. It was missionary because they could live without it. Um, and that was something that really was a problem for us because, you know, even when we would land a customer, let's say we got Home Depot, for example. They were like, this thing's great. We're going to put it on all our forklifts. We have 120 distribution centers, Ken. So we have 120, but we don't want to disrupt the operation. So we're going to do three per year. And I'm like, three per year? Yeah, how much revenue is three forklifts a year? No, three facilities. Oh, facilities, okay. So, you know, about a half a million, a million for a facility. Okay. But they're like, we're going to do three a year. I'm like, you have 120. It's going to take 40 years at this point. They didn't need it. Mm-hmm. It added value. It made them safer. It had a good ROI, but they could run their business without it. That's where Halo came in. So, you know, what was interesting there is in that case, we were truly disrupting an existing market. So, let me just explain Halo. So, because we didn't really talk about it. Yep. Yeah. Let's jump in went, right now. I went from forklifts, rental cars, and trailers to dogs. And Basically, uh, what happened was uh, my niece's dog got out of their invisible fence and was run over by a car and killed. And she was 11 years old, and they had just adopted Ruby about a year earlier, and she was a rescue, and they loved her more than anything. And all of a sudden, something that, you know, they thought was an old, reliable, the invisible fence. Their dog got through the fence and once they were through it, they didn't want to get shot coming back, got out onto the road and it was killed. And it's terrible. We were all crying. And at the time, somewhere out of that tragedy, a light bulb went off and I was like, oh my God, this is the perfect use of this technology that I've been trying to push on these Fortune 100 companies for uh, 25 years now, as opposed to people who are already buying it, the invisible fence. I'm like, I looked on Google and I saw that people were searching the term invisible fence four or 500,000 times a month. So when it comes to doing kind of the due diligence on the size of the market, first of all, if you look around my town, half the houses seem to have the invisible fence. So like gut feel, you know, if they have a dog. People were buying it, at least in the suburbs. But then four or 500,000 times a month, I was like, people aren't searching that on Google unless they're looking to buy it. You know, it's basically a a product for dogs where if you want to let them out in the backyard, if you have a house or wherever, you don't have to worry about what it looks like because it's just a wire buried underground. And when your dog goes near that wire, they have a collar. It detects the wire and it beeps or shocks your dog. I mean, that's really how... Uh, The invisible fence works and has worked for 30 years. And it's pretty good. I mean, unless your dog gets out and then it's a problem. Some dogs learn that it'll hurt for a second, but then they can get out. So, you know, when I also Googled it and saw 10 million dogs are lost every year and a million dogs are hit by a car, this is a perfect use of the technology that I've been, you know, working on since. I graduated college. So uh I was pretty excited and basically took everything I learned from starting my first company and tried to uh do the best I could this time around. But by the way, if you could imagine, guess what? The first call I made was after I had the idea. To your niece? Patent attorney. Patent attorney. Fair. <laughs> yeah, I know that makes sense. My first call, I said. I just came up with this idea. My niece was second, by the way, so that was very good. I called my patent attorney and we had 44 patents in the RFID space. So back from the original, using a smart chip on an RFID tag to all these other applications, whether it's rental car, forklifts, all these things that we could do using this smart technology. And so I called him and said, hey, I have a new one starting another company. This is what we're gonna do. And when he heard it, he was like, I have to invest. And I said, wait a minute, I have 44 patents with you. You never once said you want to invest. And he was like, this one is a good idea. (laughs) So I knew just from the reaction. And by the way, I do notice the difference. Like by the time I get down the path of explaining to anybody what the forklift product is, their eyes are already glazed over.
1: (laughs) Were mine, did did I hang in there pretty well? I would say you did your best to pretend you were interested. It it is interesting, but I will not lie that the halo, the collar is more interesting to me personally.
0: Well, I mean, and really to everybody, because it's something that, you know, people use every day and people love their dogs and people want to keep them safe and they don't want them to become a statistic. So it's something everyone can relate to. And everyone kind of understands GPS, so they can imagine that you could have a GPS map view of your property on your phone, like a Google map view, and then just draw the fence around your property with your finger, just touching the points, download it to the collar, and all of a sudden your dog, when it gets near
1: the fence line, it's going to beep as if there was a wire. Okay, and so the wired fence, the way that works, is with it when the dog is within range of it, it will go off, but if they get past it, it stops working.
0: It doesn't even work because it doesn't detect it anymore. It only mm. goes about a two to three foot range. Oh, wow. That's really small. Oh, but it's enough. Your dog, Unless your dog kind of is able to jump three feet above the thing, which they can't usually, it's going to work. You know, it's really just like a fence, a wire. Some, but by the way, even real fences, people have them. People leave the gate open. Their kids leave the gate open. They usually only have in the backyard so the dog can get out the front door or the garage door. There's so many other ways. Again, one of the problems with a physical fence or even a wire like the invisible fence is if you move, you can't take it with you. What was amazing is my brother had an invisible fence. He lived in Upper Saddle River with me. I had an invisible fence. I would want to take my dog over to his house and let him out in the backyard, but they weren't compatible. There was some reason for it, but they weren't. So what that meant was I could not let my dog out. So he would have his dog out running around the backyard having the time of his life. And if I tried to let him off, first of all, my wife would yell at me that it's going to run away. Inevitably, she would, by the way.
1: So the product is essentially about five times cheaper than than an electric fence, but probably 10 to 100 times (laughs) more convenient. And Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but... And by the way, what's crazy about it is for me personally,
0: you know, I was CEO, my board would say to me frequently, we need a consumer application. And I would think about it. And there were a lot of RFID typical consumer applications, like medical devices in hospitals, children at amusement parks, Alzheimer patients, um, you know, a lot of these example applications that were out there. And anytime I thought about them, it's not like a no-brainer. But if you're about to buy the invisible fence and spend two to $3,000 on it, you'd be crazy to do that versus just setting it up on your phone. And I mean, it's not like at this point, there's rocket science involved per se. GPS is on everything these days. Yeah, you could tell me where all, four, all the rental cars are, but no, I want to automate that return process because that's where the money is. Same thing with invisible fence. The money is there. It's, it's 1500 to $2,000 minimum to get an invisible fat. So like you're about to spend it. It's something that every year people are buying, you know, with or without Halo, people are buying it. So it's very different, like I said, to disrupt something than it is to start something where you have to kind of convince people to buy it. Some of the other things that I would say, I know I started with submit uh, patents. That's like one of the first things you should do. The other really hard part of starting a company is it takes money to get there. You you got to invest, whatever it is, whatever the product that you're creating, the marketing strategy, whatever you're gonna need, there's going to be a significant expense to get to the point where you have a differentiated product that people can understand and are willing to buy. So there's gonna be this point A to point B, chasm, let's say, that a lot of people don't necessarily have to get through Without huge dilution, you know, because and there's a lot of things that cost money, especially in a hardware business. So you certainly don't want to have to raise money to go buy two million dollars worth of inventory. You're just getting here just to buy inventory. One of the things that I did originally is oftentimes the government will fund R&D. And that did happen in my first company. So the Postal Service and the Army, remember I was talking to you about how those were the first two applications? They wanted to use these smart tags to track the letters around the country and see where the bottlenecks were. So they were dropping mail into the Postal Service and seeing that it took five days to get from here to San Francisco. I'm in New Jersey, by the way. But they didn't know where the bottleneck was. Yeah,
1: that's a long time. Should take them a day. We've got planes. But as... They
0: could tell it wasn't always doing that. So they said, we want to put an RFID tag in the mail to see where it's held up, to watch it traveling through the network kind of in real time and see where those bottlenecks were. We found someone in the Postal Service who was looking to do that. They didn't have a company in mind. They just knew they wanted to do that. We said, look, if you make them really smart, you're not going to need all these computers and these big RFID readers on every doorway. We're just going to make these smart tags. And we ended up getting about $15 million in R&D funding from the Postal Service along the way Wow! that they paid, and we still own the technology. That was the amazing part. So they funded the R&D, but with the government, they're willing to let you own it as long as you agree that they can buy it from you license-free. So they don't have to pay royalty when they buy it from you if they're paying for the R&D. It's a fair trade yeah if you want to sell it to Ford or GM, go right at it. so it was and the army had the same types of uh opportunities. so the first company we really got off the ground by uh, getting the government to fund our r d so we didn't have to you know dilute ourselves raising uh capital
1: those hungry v c sharks that are trying to buy a bunch of your company like me. <laughs>
0: Right. By the way, you are, because when we, we would have these meetings, I remember we had our postal service device sitting there and we would say, look, we're going to change the world tracking letters. The VCs would say, okay, we'll give you a few million dollars, but we want like 95% of the
1: company. Some crazy- <laughs> It's changed a lot. It's a little bit better now. Right. You know, I'm not saying it's so easy, but you got to find the person. Sounds like the government gave you what, five times more money and no dilution. That's a much better deal. Interestingly-
0: Nine out of 10 people at the postal service that we would meet with would say, we don't need that. We're good. We're happy. But then you find that person who wants to make change, who wants to improve things, who inside a big government organization says, I want to make a name for myself, or I want to uh, create something new. So it's almost like an entrepreneur inside the company is who you uh, are looking
1: for. So how do you tell? How do you tell if they're really interested? Like, are there certain tricks that you picked up on or is it just?
0: Yes, I can tell you the answer to that. Perfect answer to that because that's a great question because oftentimes they'll all say they're interested. That's prospects. be like, great, sounds great. And then oftentimes they would also say, let's do a free demo. No, that is the worst thing you can do. So by the way, I, I did a lot of things to try to differentiate the people who were serious from the people who weren't. One is I often said they had to come to me. Hmm. So what I found at the beginning of my first company, if I wanted to go to a meeting with Ford, I would literally wake up at five in the morning, shower, shave. One time I missed half my mustache, get to the meeting at like 1 p.m., fly to Detroit, meet for 45 minutes, and then fly back. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm like, this whole process is messed up. And so at some point, I changed my, and it doesn't, look, it takes, let's call it, I'm friends with Cesar Milan nowadays. We'll talk about him at a point, but he talks about calm confidence. It takes some calm confidence to say to foreign, if you want to come talk about a product, you come to me. And that was a big distinguishing factor between the people who were just, you know, kicking tires, leading you on. So it started with the first meeting. Were they willing to come to you versus you willing to go to them? But then the next thing would be a pilot. Everyone wanted a free pilot. That is something that is never good. Like, it sounds great, but if they're not willing to put up 20 grand, 25 grand, I'm making these numbers up, but they're not unreasonable. This is four. It is more the number. It is the number that's fundamental. If they're not willing to put something like that up, then they're not really seeing how it's going to transform their business. Yeah, They're like, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Let's see what the data shows. And I get that. But they, like in that Avis pilot that I was talking about, where we're comparing the data, they had to pay for that. They had to pay for that. Otherwise, I wasn't going to do it. And by the way, Hertz asked for free demos. I would say no, because... Again, it just goes back to finding someone who wants to buy it as much as you want to sell it to them. If they're not even willing to pay for a demo, I
1: would move on. Yeah, so it's kind of like you, if you think about it as a pipeline, as as, as a funnel, you just kind of chop off parts of the funnel or the pipeline and just really focus on the ones that are more qualified or further down the funnel.
0: Right, who really want what you have, you know, who want? And by the way, another thing that used to, scope creep, well, this used to kill us. Oh, we'd love to buy it, but we want to know the exact weight of the pallet that is on the front of the forklift. And we're like, that's the forklift company. We're just tracking your access control. We can't do that. So then, of course, the forklift company would say, that's not what, they just sell forklifts. So then we would engineer this sensor, to go on the forks to detect the weight of the materials, that could take a year or two. And then they could decide that, "Eh, maybe it doesn't have a great ROI. And that actually also creates a lot of problems. We have different versions for different customers. So you have Mm -hmm. a version for Ford, a version for GM, a version for Chrysler, and everyone's different. And someone could call up from Ford and ask about, a feature that doesn't even exist or the customer service people don't know about so from a scalability scant standpoint scalability you really want to have one product that accomplishes now you can always you know add to it but it should be one product that your customers are using that ideally you can continue to upgrade so they're all using the latest and greatest version by the time I left my other company, I think we had like 500 different versions of our products with different types. I mean, Walmart was still using the forklift system from like 2001. They're like, we could still use it. We were like, no, there's so many things we fixed, but it didn't matter. It was good mm. enough. So that's it. having one product, one platform is hard enough to get right. I mean, if you think about it, Uber, Lyft, I mean, it's an app. It's like one thing. And yet they still are losing money. So it obviously costs a tremendous amount uh, to get even that one thing to the point where it's profitable. But if you make like 50 things and you're a small company and you have to keep all 50 up and running, it's next to impossible.
1: And that's actually what Steve Jobs did when he came back to Apple. I I mean, you probably remember that. I forget the exact number of products, but they had a lot. And he just said, no, we're just selling the iMac, just the computer, and then we're going to do a phone. and they had like four products at one point, and I think it's the most valuable company in the world now. I, 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 we have to check. I mean, it's a pretty basic principle, and just lets you focus too. And if you know, if you have five hundred different products, your customer service team, your R and D team, the engineers, like everyone has to know a bunch of different things of over a ton of different products. Versus, if it's just, hey, we sell a dog collar. That's what it is. It has a bunch of capabilities, but it's one product. Everyone can be an expert on it.
0: Focused on that disruptive idea that you came up with. And, you know, more products leads to diversification, but it also uh, leads to lack of focus. And, you know, there's enough, there's more dogs than forklifts, rental cars, and trailers combined. I think it's 90 million dogs in the United States. I think I saw there's more dogs than kids in San Francisco. So it's not like we don't have a huge market now. Since we've started the company, we've now sold close to 160,000 collars, which is over a hundred million in sales total since the beginning. So we've gone from an idea
1: to a hundred million in sales. And especially when you think about all the different products you're kind of building around it. I remember when, when we met the other night when are you showing me some of the different stuff that you guys can do. What do you think this turns into over the next 10, 20 years? I mean, there's a lot of things down the pipe. You know, you'll be able to put your own voice on the collar. Right now it has Caesar
0: going and whistling and all those things. So we'll get your own voice on there. Hmm. We're going to have temperature sensing. So if you leave your dog, unfortunately, in the car at 90 degrees, we're gonna send you an alert, you know, which obviously would be super helpful. I have a very important reason to want to have a solution for service dogs. So, when you think of service dogs today, one example I would give is for seizures for children or anyone who has seizures, hmm. they have service dogs that can detect if you're having a seizure. And then what they try to do is make sure that you're in a safe location, you know, kind of like get attention. But there's not really much they can actually do. If they had a Halo, and we train them, and this is something that is on the roadmap, hmm. let's say, for example, they spun around six times, we could tell that they did that. And just like the iPhone, call 911, give you the location. I mean, for now, to get a, a service dog, it could be twenty five to $40,000 years of training. It's very expensive and out of reach for most people. If you can literally just train a dog to call for help, it's something that could really benefit Many people who need it, just detecting disease or any kind of sickness of your dog by monitoring their behavior. Someone came up with an idea yesterday. I got to submit a patent before I tell you, but I'll tell you anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Maybe we'll wait but to publish
1: works. the episode until the patents clear. No, I don't.
0: <laughs> even, I don't think this mattered. But it was a great idea. The guy said it would be great if you could detect if my dog had ticks. Can't detect it, but then I thought about it. We can detect if your dog is scratching. That's a behavior. So if your dog is scratching a lot more than usual, we could say, hey, your dog is scratching a lot more than usual. You may want to inspect him for ticks. One of the things that we're also working on, it's something we've spent now almost the last three years working on with the University of Texas, Dallas. There's been engineering students. There's a class every year that and every semester that is working on Halo. And what we're doing is there's a motion sensor in here that is basically the same thing that you'd have on your Apple Watch. So it would say walking, jogging, in the car, biking, swimming, based on how you're moving your arms. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're going like this, they know you're swimming. You're going like this, they know you're jogging. And it's all based on really artificial intelligence, um, looking at types of motion readings that you're going to get doing specific types of activities and then looking at
1: those readings and essentially saying, okay, he's got to be driving. Even the speed that the phone or the watch is traveling, like he's going 70 miles an hour. He's not running. Right.
0: You're looking at all that sensor data and and basically figuring out what someone is doing. So we have been doing that same thing for dogs. The problem is they're all tailored to people. So we've been putting the collar on dogs and having the students look at the dog and they say, standing, sitting, jumping, barking, and when they're doing it, then they do that enough times and then they feed that data into AI software. We have been able to now tailor the data to be dog oriented. So now we're going to be able to tell, when is your dog barking? Like- even potty training. So is your dog about to go to the bathroom in the house? That's tell them no. So, you know, unless you're watching them, you might not be able to see it. So we can detect all of that. So detecting their activities, there's so many things it'll detect, it'll help detect, um, you know, illnesses. Are they drinking too much? Are they not getting going to the bowl and drinking enough? I mean, there's, so many future elements to it because you have this smart sensor that can continue. We can upgrade it, add those features. Every feature I just told you is something we can download to even the first Halo 1s that we shipped at the end of 2020. Another cool one that someone wanted was a Bell. So you put, uh, when they get to the front door... You get a notification on your phone, your dog is waiting there, so they don't scratch the
1: door. Yeah, we've definitely done that in the past. We've had a bell on the door and the dog would ring the bell. Yes, that's pretty, they take advantage of that for sure. So, and you know,
0: Caesar was really involved in this. And when I say Caesar, I never, I haven't even talked about him yet, but back to the founders of the company idea. So one of the things that when I founded Halo, I was like, okay, last wired device, we can replace GPS. We were telling Avis what space number the car was in, so I knew GPS was accurate enough to replace the wire. But I was like, we need a dog expert. We need an expert. If you were tra- you know, putting this thing on trailers or rental cars or forklifts, you need an expert in that field. Even on the car yeah. thing, there was 2,000 makes and models of cars and Avis wanted us to be able to just plug our device in, have it figure out what car it was and work which, by the way, is not so easy, and be highly secure. You need a car expert because you couldn't, every car speaks its own language on the onboard diagnostics port and, you know, has different codes. Sometimes one Megan model, even if it was like a hatchback, it could speak a different language than a regular coupe. So you needed an expert in the car computers themselves. We knew we needed a dog expert, so that is where... Cesar Millan came in, you know, the dog
1: whisperer. Can you really quick just kind of explain who he is, the story? I'm assuming some people might know, but for people who are not familiar. He is basically
0: the only person I could even think of that was a dog expert that people knew. I was like, who else is there? So it was the dog whisperer. He had a show that was on Nat Geo and is still the number one show. It's still on reruns where he would take What he would call like a fire engine, like real bad cases, like dogs that were really going to have problems and go to a shelter, you know, biting people, things like that and fix that, like come in and turn them into the best pet. So, I mean, it was hard to believe. People couldn't believe it, but he had this show called The Dog Whisperer. It was almost like magic, like David Copperfield, what he would be able to do with these dogs. If you haven't watched it, there's a reason it's the number one show for a long time because it's almost unbelievable. And now that I've actually known him for close to five years, he, it is true. Like unlike David Copperfield, who I don't think really can perform actual magic. I mean, I know it looks amazing. Caesar can speak dog. I mean, speak dog. I can give you story after story where he and I have come to a situation, whether it was with a celebrity's dog, you know, we went, we signed the D'Amelio's, Charlie D'Amelio, who's world's number one TikToker as an influencer because they had four dogs. So when we first went to meet them, they don't know who he is. So, you know, they're, just they're a, like 16
1: years old. They don't know
0: about yeah. Caesar. He's just in there. He's just one of our guys. So then they get led into the room where Caesar's standing around. I'm standing around. We're all waiting. What's going to happen? Are they just like drawn
1: to him? Like all the dogs just come to him? Well, it's pretty interesting. What
0: It's crazy. So they're running around barking. Four dogs, like there was food out. They were jumping on the table. Caesar surveys the situation. I wouldn't say it was longer than 10 to 15 seconds, I would say. Just looking at what the dogs were doing. He then focuses on one of them, goes over to the dog, puts it on his leash. Brings it over right next to him, and the other dogs stop what they were doing and come right over to him, sit down next to him, Indian style. It was the craziest thing I have ever seen. He was able to figure out who the alpha dog was. He was able to convince that dog that he's the alpha dog, so he better come sit next to him. And then those other three dogs were like, wow, if he's doing that, we better get over there. So all that happened in like 30 seconds. And then they, you know, all of a sudden there was calm. And the family was like amazed. And, you know, Caesar went to explain
1: how that should be, you know, the experience every day. How did you meet Caesar? I know we kind of I kind of wanted to hit on that. Like, is there an interesting story behind how you guys connected? So I knew I needed Caesar because he was the only one I could even think of. I couldn't even come up with a second
0: name so i did everything i could to try to reach out to him through the internet i called there was some seasonal online training facilities i called him hey i want to talk to him they're like okay you and everyone else (laughs) but like he had the sickest protection i could have imagined and i just couldn't get to him and i really tried everything and then i using linkedin i ended up finding a person who worked at a company called Caesar's Way, which he's Caesar Milan. I didn't even know if that was even
1: affiliated. I didn't even, I couldn't tell. Yeah, I think he sells a video or a course or something that's called Caesar's Way. Exactly. But at the time, I didn't even realize it. And
0: there was this guy who was the president of Caesar's Way. I tried to LinkedIn him. He accepted, which by the way, was a huge mistake on his part because I probably called him a thousand times from that day forward. (laughs) He was like, please lose my cell phone number. But nonetheless, we happened to have, once I was able to even not only identify this person, but see their background, we had an unusual connection in that he was the head of marketing at a company called THQ, which made video games, where one of the board members of my company, ID Systems, was on the board of THQ. Hmm. I mean, I don't know how that happened to happen. But that was an amazing break the ice, kind of explain who I was, why I wanted Caesar. And basically, even when I finally got the guy on the phone and I had this amazing connection, he still said no way. So I was like, listen, we have this great idea. And he's like, what is it? I "I can't tell you. Because I didn't want to say it was replace the invisible fence with a GPS because it didn't exist. So I didn't want to give away that idea, especially because, you know, we had just filed a patent on it. What he said was, look, we're talking to Apple. We're talking to Garmin, We're talking to Fitbit. We're talking to Motorola. Why would I talk to you? And I said, because I have a great idea. And he's like, no, (laughs) that's not going to fly. I have a great idea. So I was like, well, I'd love to tell you. Just sign an NDA. I'll tell you. And he's like, well, what if... Apple has an idea. I don't want you suing me. You know, when we come out with this, that it was your idea. So I'm not even going to sign an NDN. So I wouldn't tell him. So we were at a standoff. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was like, okay, nice talking to you. (laughs) So then three months later, we had made progress on the product. And I was like, I had his number, of course. And I was like, I'm going to give him another run for his money. I, I got to get this guy. So I call him. He won't answer. He does not answer. I'm not, I think I
1: probably called him 150 times. And I had his cell phone.
0: So he Did he really have your number
1: saved? Or is it just a random number that kept calling him, probably? I don't know. But finally, he answered. He goes, listen, Ken, even there was me. He goes,
0: I was fired. I don't work there anymore. He fired everybody. So I said, oh, I'm so sorry. That's so terrible. But he gave me the name of the new guy. So then I called the new person. and it was like, I was working with the old person for the last year and a half. I don't know what happened in the transition. And of course, I said, you got to sign the NDA. He said, no way. Same thing. No way. I'm talking to all these other guys. No way. Hung up. I'm like, all right. I can't, I can't tell these guys, especially if they're talking to potentially who could be our biggest competitors. I'm not going to yeah. tell them the idea. So finally, I asked my aunt, of all people, who is the number two dog person? Just give me anybody. And she came up with someone who I've never talked to, by the way, ever. Hmm. But her name was Tamara Geller. So I called this guy back up and I said, look, I'm out in California, which was true. If you don't sign the NDA, a meeting with Tamara Gether, and you know what he did? He signed the NDA. Amazing. So leverage. So then, from that day forward, we told him the idea. You know, Caesar's whole thing was when he heard ten million dogs were lost and a million dogs were hit by a car. He was like, "Wow, I got to get involved right away." It resonated. I mean, he was famous for walking fifty dogs off leash. That was kind of like one of the first pictures. He was walking 50 pit bulls off leash in downtown LA. And that was what precipitated his first TV show. But I mean, this was exactly what he was looking for. Once we
1: finally cracked the ice, let's say. That's awesome. So it sounds like basically just a product that fit really well. And, and then never giving up and just finding a third degree connection to get in. Yes. And then also figuring out negotiating leverage of how, how do you convince them to to even take a call with you in the first place.
0: You have to really be always looking at the risks and what are the real challenges and be honest and open with what those are and deal with them. And at the same time, try to find the best possible thing that could happen for your company today and then go do it. And even if something bad happens, which happens all the time, what's the best thing I could do to turn lemons into lemonade. In other words, I'm always thinking that whatever, even no matter how bad something might be, how can we turn that into a positive or learn from it? And that is something people always say, but you really have to be able to do to get from an idea to a point where now we've done, like I said, over a hundred million in sales of a concept because we always knew it could happen, but now we had to look at actually making it happen and seeing what works, what doesn't and being nimble enough to respond to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's important all the time with, with everything in life, but it's probably a hundred times more important if you're an entrepreneur, founder of a company. Well, this is an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for, for joining. Obviously we've talked about the product a bunch, but how can people order it? I mean, do they go, to get in the store? Do they buy it online? What's the best place to find it?
0: You can go to www.halocoller.com.
1: Thank you so much, Ken, for coming on. This was amazing. A lot of things to think about. And we'll see everybody next time. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Ken at Halo. If you want to try a collar for your dog, use promo code JUNE2023, no spaces, when checking out to get $25 off. It's a limited time offer valid through June of 2023. Not valid with any other coupons or offers. Terms and conditions apply. See halocaller.com slash coupons for details. I also want to remind everyone that nothing discussed in this episode was investment advice and you should do your own research before investing in any companies mentioned. If you want to support the show, I have one request for everyone still listening. I'd love if you could leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, like the video if you're on YouTube, and share with one friend who might like the episode. It helps with visibility and getting more guests and takes less than two minutes. If you don't want to miss an episode, head to the show notes and subscribe to my newsletter, The Split, to get each new episode in your inbox the moment they drop. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.